Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner right here on your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. Right now, we'll be speaking with Kiara James and Rebecca Nagel, who are both members of FORCE, Upsetting Rape Culture. They talk about their work with the Monument Quilt and sexual assault statistics in Baltimore and what we can do about it. Yes, we are here with uh, Kiara James, who is on the leadership team uh, for FORCE, Upsetting Rape Culture and the Monument Quilt. She's a junior here in, in social work at Morgan State University. Welcome to the show. Thank you. And Rebecca Nagel, who is co-founder of Force Upsetting Rape Culture. Uh, and Rebecca, welcome. Good to have you here. Thank you for having me. Write to us here at talk at steinershow.org. Uh, you can tweet us at Mark Steiner, log on to our Facebook with your own thoughts about this. And I was saying to Kiara before we went on the air, um, Rebecca, that there's, uh, there's not a woman in my family who has not been a victim of sexual assault or an attempted assault in the course of their lives. And, you know, we see these statistics about, you know, what you were saying earlier, one in five on college mm-hmm. campuses, but that's a, that's a low number. It says a lot about who we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the statistics um, that people reference, uh, one in three women, one in six men, and over half of all trans people will experience sexual violence in their lifetime, and we know that those statistics are low. Um, And so one thing that the Monument Quilt seeks to do, because we hear these statistics over and over again, and they become numb, by collecting survivor stories, people can start to feel the impact of sexual and domestic violence um, and see how it plays out in people's lives. Yeah, it's like um, a lot of times people are scared to report, and that's why these numbers are so low, because of the stigma that goes along with being a victim or a survivor of sexual violence. It's just, it's ridiculous. There's no reason to have these stigmas, have these misunderstandings. It's not like, rape is not she wore a short skirt to a party and got drunk. Rape is not that stranger in the alley. I mean, there's, you know, violence rape. There's, you know... When you're in a relationship, you can be raped. Rape is not one narrative and only one narrative. And I think people always, for whatever special reason, feel like it can be in a box. Mm-hmm. And it's that's not true in the slightest. And to piggyback on what Kiara is saying, I think that the stories that are told in the mainstream narrative and that as a culture we tell ourselves about how rape and abuse happens, who it's affecting and why, actually mask the root of the problem rather than addressing it. And um, we, I think, live in a culture where we think that rape is a problem that's rooted in a set of bad individuals. So rather than being a systemic issue rooted in racism, rooted in sexism, we think of it as, you know, a few people who make bad decisions no, that is true. I mean, I think that it's, it's it's deep in the in the bonus society, human culture. Period. Um, I think we're not just beginning to wake up to saying that this is unacceptable. And I think that one of the ways you're doing this is really fascinating. We don't want to get into the heart of this. The not alone Baltimore is that is that this is becoming more than just uh, pushing people around legal prosecution, legal questions. You're talking about owning the narrative and take, taking these stories as healing and resilience and power to change things, which is a different way of looking at this whole question, I think, than we usually do. Yeah, definitely. I feel like a lot of times there's kind of like a survivor-victim stigma where a lot of times people who are survivors, at least for a while there, feel victimized. And in all reality, the only thing that you did wrong was nothing. 
there's there's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you can do to necessarily prevent rape. If rape was about what you wore, then people who are in sweatpants wouldn't get raped. If rape was about being drunk, then people would then you know parties and clubs would be rampant. If rape was about you know um, anything that was even single women, virgins would virgins wouldn't get raped. No, rape rape is not about sex, and I think that's the biggest misconception that we have. Yeah. And I I think that to talk about um, making the issue political, one thing that happens is that public shame isolates survivors. So we're silenced. It's a problem that's kept to the private realm. And I think any movement for social change um, really is grounded in people who are affected by that issue being able to band together and organize. And because there's so much stigma against survivors coming forward and speaking about our experiences publicly, it's a really hard issue to do that. So one of the things we do through the monument quilt and through force is to try and build that political power. So let's stop for a minute, real backwards here. So what is, talk a bit about this quilt. I mean, we're talking about the quilt. What are you talking about a quilt? So, <laughs> so um, good question. So the monument quilt is an ongoing collection of stories from survivors of rape and abuse. So written, stitched, and painted onto red fabric, we've collected over 1,500 stories from survivors here? from across the country. So the quilts toured, uh, we visited 28 cities um, in the U.S., but actually the majority of the quilt squares are from Baltimore because that's where we're based and that's where most of the workshops have happened. And we're going to do a large display of the quilt on North Avenue on Saturday from noon to 5 between Charles and Howard Street. And for those five hours, we're building a public healing space for survivors where survivors are publicly supported, not shamed. Yep. So um, how how did you find out about the quilt? How did you become involved in this? Well, for me, a friend of mine was actually entering with force before I did. That's how I found out about the organization. I always heard about the Monument Quilt. I always thought it was a really great, wonderful, really cool idea. And I was just like, that's something that I'll never get to be a part of. Oh, man, that's so cool. I just wish I could be cool like that. And then one day, Rebecca and um, the the other co-founder of Forrest, Hannah, they came to a workshop that MSU Poets had that I was a part of. And they were talking about these consent videos. And I was like, wait, that's that's the monument quote. Oh, my gosh. And I just, I saw the opportunity. And ever since November, I have been in love with my internship. (laughs) <laughs> so what's a consent video? Um, the consent video is basically their um, videos displaying how easily consent can be given and understood. So people think that consent is when you say something to the effect of, do you mind if I touch you here? Do you mind if I kiss you? Do you mind if we go to the next step? And when in reality, consent can be kind of like body language, where if I push off, that means, hey, don't touch me. But if I kind of, you know, lean in closer, then maybe I want to move on. Right, right. No, 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 that's important because cause we, cause we, we, we sometimes we've taken it to the point People have allowed it to be taken to the point of ridiculousness, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. May I touch, as opposed to what you're saying now, which mm-hmm. is a much more natural rhythm of human beings together and men, for the most part, having to be able to understand mm-hmm. what that means mm-hmm. and not use that to further abuse. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. I think, really important. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so one of the things that uh, we uh, made consent videos in collaboration with um, some college students, and we're actually going to be launching a contest for other people to make videos soon, is um, 
in the push for sexual consent, there's been this backlash that consent is hard or it's too complicated. And if we (laughs) agree that sex without consent is rape, you know, sex with coercion, sex when not everyone's agreed to what's happening is rape, then by saying that consent is too hard, we're saying that it's too hard not to rape people, which is ridiculous. So um, one thing that we want to show is just sort of demystifying what consent is and how um, people can communicate about sex and that that actually creates like healthier sexuality and healthier relationships. Folks, join us here, 410-319-8888. Be part of this conversation. Uh, You may not know about the quilt, uh, which is, we'll talk about that again, know exactly where to come to see where the monument quilt will be on display here in Baltimore. Uh, this weekend from noon to 5 p.m. at North and Howard. Uh, yeah, and it takes that huge an area to put this massive quilt out, which is growing every day. And also there have been a number of workshops taking place before this. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have an event um, tomorrow night at University of Baltimore um, at, the, oh, yeah. at so, the Business Center um, from 6 to 8. And that event's actually going to be a town hall for survivors of um, domestic violence and sexual assault. So it's a, going to be a chance for us to come together and start to build that political voice in Baltimore and say from service organizations, from Baltimore City, what do we need to heal and to seek justice? And what do we want to see happen to fr- prevent further Violence um, and actually listening. Um, so coming to that town hall, not to speak, but just to listen, are representatives from the Department of Justice, from the Maryland's off, from the mayor's office on criminal justice, um, from our local rape crisis center and our local domestic violence shelter. So the people who really shape the service organizations and the policies on a local level will be in the room to hear directly from survivors. So, what does that mean in a city like Baltimore? To to to, to seek to heal and to seek to heal and to seek justice. I mean, what does that mean? I was interested in one of the stats in this thing, but not a stat, but a statement. Um, in a city with higher than average rates of domestic violence and sexual assault, what do survivors need from the government and service organizations? But I mean, so I, the, the idea that Baltimore has one of the highest rates in the nation is pretty stunning. Well, um, you know, I looked up on the city's data website, Open Baltimore, how many domestic violence 911 calls there have been so far in 2016, and it's over 6,000. So there have been more 911 calls so far in 2016 than for aggravated assault, shootings, and auto theft combined. So in, in, that, in that, what does it mean to heal, and what does it mean to seek justice? I feel that... Justice depends on the survivor. So there's some survivors who say, all I want is an apology, and that's their form of justice. There's other survivors who say, no, the person who perpetrated this crime onto me needs to go to jail. There's some survivors who feel like as long as there's education, there's progression, and that that's their form of justice. So I feel like, especially with the Monument Court and all the efforts that we do as force, that's our own way of seeking healing and justice. What does together. it mean for you? Um, For me, I feel like... The education portion and not necessarily apologies, but the education portion that comes from discussing these things, because, I mean, I can tell you when I was younger as a teenager, we always thought that rape is what happens when you go to a party and get too drunk or when, right, right. Or, you know, when you, you go walk down an alley by yourself at night and you're going to get jumped and raped. Like, that's kind of the narrative that they teach you in schools. When in reality, you can be in a relationship, in a committed relationship with someone and still be taken advantage of. 
And then along with that, it's like teaching young people especially that rape jokes aren't actually funny. And teaching young people that your body is your own and that you should never feel like you owe somebody sex or you owe somebody intimacy because you're in a relationship with them or because they called you attractive or because of whatever this is, especially when you think about coercion and intimidation issues. I mean, think about power struggles as well. In high school, I was a freshman dating a senior and where he never did anything inappropriate with me. There was people were afraid of the potential to where he's so much older and I was so young and kind of innocent that it's kind of like, oh, well, is he going to do something? Is she going to be okay? And it's like... I feel like as a woman, I should never feel the need to be overly concerned about my safety in ways that men never feel concerned about their safety. Mm. And that is justice to mm-hmm. me. And that's I, really powerful, powerfully said. And I think that one thing that's important when we talk about justice for survivors is that the process is survivor-led. And I think that's one one of the many problems with the criminal justice system is that, um, and for many, one of the reasons that many survivors don't report our assaults is because it takes the control out of our hands. And so then the criminal justice system is deciding what happens rather than the survivor getting to decide what happens. So what does that mean concretely? So... Um, the I mean, to really break it down, I think that our society makes this assumption, you know, that women who are women who are in an abusive relationship are weak and fragile rather or, or otherwise they wouldn't be in an abusive relationship. And so, um, you know, lawyers, judges, police constantly treat survivors like we don't know what's best um, and doubt survivors judgment. And so. I think that um, it's really hard for survivors to access justice through the criminal justice system. And what's happened since um, really the 70s is that feminists, and I would say like mainstream and white feminists, have really pushed for the criminal justice system to be the answer to this problem. And what we've seen is actually a backlash where um, the majority of women who are in prison are survivors. Of sexual assault and domestic violence. And, you know, we have laws in the state of Maryland, like mandatory arrest laws, where we talk to survivors who, when they call 911 for a domestic violence incident, they're arrested because they fought back in a life-threatening situation. So, folks, do join us at 410-319-8888. Um, I want to hear your thoughts on this, on on, on this abuse and sexual assault in our, com- in our communities, this in- incredible quilt that is... That is, is um, the monument quilters that is going to be is being brought to Baltimore, uh, the stories of the women uh, and others who have survived, uh, and what this means. We're here with Kiara James, who's a student here at Morgan State University and part of the leadership team of the group Force Upsetting Rape Culture and the Monument, and the monument Quilt, and Re- Rebecca Nagel, who's co-founder of Force Upsetting uh, Rape Culture. Your thoughts at 410-319-8888, uh, your own stories if you'd like, uh, and more, and maybe more information you'd like to have about getting involved in being part of this at 410-319-8888. You know, it, it is interesting because, I mean, it, it, I was thinking about this the other day a lot. Um, your response to this, the kind of uh, the, the response to the kind of assault that so many women and others, trans people as well, and, um, um, are, are subject to and survive in this in this culture. My first initial reaction, maybe just a male a male reaction, maybe it's not, is revenge. Mm. Right. That that's your first 
inclination is revenge, at least from my. And then the other part of me says, but wait a minute, what does healing mean and can people be brought back from that horrendous act to become whole themselves as women need to become whole themselves to take charge of this? Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, uh, how we address this. I mean, because it's so deep. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's deep in the sense that it's not just the act itself for me. When I think about this, it, it's, 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 it's how much it's embedded in the culture, mm-hmm. how much it's embedded in the male, the culture of men. Yeah. It's, I mean, that, you know, that, that, that's, it's that deep and how you get mm-hmm. to it and to unearth it, take it out, get rid of it. Mm-hmm. I think that a part of that at the primary level is realizing that this is not a woman's issue. Right. Women are not the only people who can be and are raped and sexually violated. A man can be raped just as much as a woman can be raped. A man can be... Well, that's true. I mean, incapacitated, and a woman can force herself on top of him. I was actually listening to a friend of mine tell me a story about how she was having a conversation with a guy, and he was saying how it was a bunch of them hanging out together, and he got, I mean, apparently way too intoxicated. And a girl forced herself on top of him and he didn't he never initially wanted to have sex with her but for whatever reason they ended up having sex and he, it was hard for him to kind of wrap his mind around the fact that this happened and he was just in his mind he just knew that he didn't want to have sex with her but he had sex with her when he was incapacitated and that is rape if you didn't want to and it's forced upon you that's rape and I think to talk about how deeply rooted it is in our society, I think that gender is one way that sexual violence and domestic violence works. But I think we see it come up in a lot of other systems of oppression, too. And I think there's less conversation around it. So when we look at racism in the United States, um, You know, Native American women in the U.S. experience uh, rates of sexual violence higher than any other ethnic group. And um, I'm a citizen of Cherokee Nation. And as a citizen of Cherokee Nation, if I'm sexually assaulted on my tribe's land by someone who's non-native, my tribe, by federal statute, is prohibited from prosecuting that perpetrator. And that policy of tribes not being able to say, like, what happens on our land, not being able to protect our people, um, idea that our tribal governments and our tribal court systems are inferior stems directly from colonialism and rape's been used to oppress Native people since this country started So, or before this country started. So a lot, we, we have to broaden how we talk about where rape comes from. And yes, like gender inequity is one source, but it's not the only one. And I think that what it comes down to is really systems of domination and that, you know, when we treat people as less than human and when we don't listen to people, when we don't believe people, when um, people have less access to justice, those are the places in the systems in which we see rape and abuse go unchecked. Right, and and just to add to that, um, we talked about this particular issue on Native lands and, and, and this abuse not long ago when my friend Joshie Ross was in town on the show and um, that the majority of sexual assaults and rapes against Native women are not done by Native men, which is something really important to kind of point out. Yeah, to, right? over, <laughs> over 70% of perpetrators of violence against Native women are non-Native and over 88% of perpetrators of violence against Native people when you broaden it and part of broadening that is including our children are non-Native. 
that's the important just to point that out, I think. So I, I the, talk, talk to a little bit before we conclude just about where you think the the power of this is for all of you and for women especially um, with this quilt and, and what's being said here and what you expect and what actually happens when you gather in these circles or whatever this is to talk and heal. What, what is actually taking place? I think that empowering is taking place. Um, when you get a group of survivors together, and especially we, I'm a, also a part of the Gather Together project that the force is um, working on, which is actually a collective of survivors who are working together for activism goals. And when one survivor is having a hard time with a concept or with a situation, the whole group comes together to help this one survivor and then move forward. And I feel like when you look at how people in the group specifically have progressed just in the, I guess, three sessions that we've had, it's it's so inspiring to see how you went from this place where you were so low after this horrible event happened to you, and now you're able to speak about it without crying, and now you're able to find ways to kind of prevent this from happening to other people, raise awareness of these issues for other people. It's just, it's awe-inspiring to me to see the progression. Go ahead, Rebecca. I'm sorry. Um, So I feel like as a survivor, I'm often treated like I'm what's broken and I'm what needs to go and get fixed. And I'm not what's broken. What's broken is the culture and the circumstance that created my abuse. Um, sexual violence is a very disempowering experience. You lose control over the one thing that you should never lose control over, which is your body. And I think that everyone's healing process is different. But for me, activism is necessary. And the reason that it's necessary is because I can't go back and take back or change what forever has been taken from me. But I can change this culture. And that is sort of is where I feel whole again. Let's get a call in here, too, before we have to end. 410-319-8888 is a number, as we're talking about Not Alone Baltimore, the monument built to be here, the series of uh, workshops and meetings that have been taking place uh, for a public healing space by and for survivors of rape and abuse. 410-319-8888. Our guests are Kiara Jones and Rebecca Nagel. And William and Woodlawn, you're on the air. Welcome. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I'm calling to say I support ladies that... Oh, uh, I'm sorry. You had to put on your headphones. Our, our guests don't have their headphones in here. My, my fault. All right, go ahead, William. Sorry. <laughs> okay. okay, I'm on. Yeah, you're on. Uh, everything's cool. Go ahead, yes. Okay, thank you for taking my call. I'm calling to say I support you ladies for what you're doing because there needs to be a lot more education with some of the younger females. Unfortunately, the media is the biggest enemy of uh, females because of the fact that it portrays women as uh, you know, just walk around with the clothes ready to fall off, and some of these um, media people are pushing that, whereas women are not just pieces of meat. I was also curious as to whether or not either one of you have had a chance to view the HBO special called The Girl in the River. Possibly no. No. No, okay. If you get a chance, I think it would be something you might want to look at because this young lady was uh, almost assassinated because she refused to marry the person who she's supposed to marry and went out of her, uh, oh, right. I guess you'd say, sex and married a guy that the family didn't approve of. Right, right. So what they did was they cut her her, her, her face on the right-hand side and shot her in the shoulder and threw her into the river. Wow. And uh, she survived. And 
ridicule of the uncle and the father who attempted to murder her because she dishonored them. Okay, so I'm saying to you, indirectly, there is a, a backlash against women all around the world, especially in some of the uh, African countries. They don't have a lot of respect. So it's up to the media that people like you tell some of these younger girls that your, right. your body is a temple and that you're supposed to protect right. it until you get married. You follow? So, Thank you, William. That, that, that's an interesting point. I would say I, I wouldn't put all of the the, the uh, onus on on play, in African countries. This is happening across the globe. Uh, whether it's and America is just kind of just as rampant. We just have a rampant in different ways. I think. Yeah, and I think that um, one thing that's important to think about in the U.S. Again, you know, just going back to what we were talking about yeah. with sexual assault against Native women is I, I think that rape is not irrelevant to systems of inequity in the U.S., but actually foundational to how they were formed and how they persist today. And so um, we're no better. And we need to focus on the policies and the cultural norms in the U.S. that support domestic violence and sexual assault. And I think we are um, I think it's dangerous for us to intervene in other countries because I think we could very easily export um, what we're doing wrong here. I feel also that another um, aspect of rape culture is considering how, as the gentleman was saying, that, you know, your body is a temple and your body is a temple, but at the same time, your body is your temple. And I feel that um, uh-huh. when you consider how, you know, these concepts of rape culture tell you that if you wear a short skirt or if you wear a low-cut shirt, then you are more likely to be bothered, <laughs> to say nicely. And in reality, if that was true, then in the summer, rapes would increase Monumentally, and that's just not the case. We see that rapes happen all year round. Rapes can happen in December when it's three feet of snow outside. I want to thank both of our guests. You just heard Kiara James, who's on the leadership team, the team, excuse me, for Force Upsetting Rape Culture on the Monument Quilt. She's a junior here at Morgan State University. And Rebecca Nagel, co founder of Force Upsetting Rape Culture, uh, and also is with No Boundaries, I should add, as well. Uh, and thank you both for being in the studio today. Thank you. Thank you. The Mark Steiner Show is a production of the Center for Emerging Media. Our senior producer is Mark Gunnery. Our producer is Amani Spence. Our research producer is Calvin Perry. Our production assistant is Nadia Ramlagan. Our intern is Morgan Senior Michael Dixon. And our engineer is Andre Melton. Our theme music is by Wall Matthews of Clean Cuts. And please send me your thoughts about today's program to talk at steinershow.org. Podcast The Mark Steiner Show and share it with your friends. Please visit us on the web at steinershow.org or listen to us via your favorite podcasting app. And for your source for cool jazz and more, this is Mark Stein. I want to say thank you all for listening today. Deeply appreciated. And also, once again, let me th- say thank you. I deeply appreciate all the comments uh, after the news was released that our show will be ending on July 31st. It's good to see all the love and support out there. So thank you all so much. Take care. We'll talk tomorrow. <laughs>